Avery. Stevie. Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Avery, would you like to introduce introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? My name is Avery Burke. I am sometimes a musician, and sometimes a computer programmer. Maybe go and find my solo album, which I had talked about before. I have a goal to put it up on Spotify, so maybe sometime by the time this has come out, you could find it on Spotify, Avery Burke. Yeah, and if not, you can uh, track Avery down and harass him. Yeah, I like that. Yes, please. Uh, Especially ask me to debate you about things, and if I don't respond, just shout coward at me. (laughs) I'm a big fan of that. Does that happen a lot? Did that happen a lot during your, like, barista job? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the time when I was making coffee, people would come in and demand to debate me and then call me a coward when I refused. (laughs) There was... So I I used to own a coffee shop also. And when I did, um, I have a degree in philosophy and somebody wrote a, an article about the philosopher who owns a coffee shop. And some of the philosophy department of San Francisco State came and I didn't know who they were. And one of them just randomly engaged me in a debate about philosophy. And then a guy showed up like as I was closing and proceeded, we had this like two hour long conversation about like the tax codes under different Roman emperors during the imperial period of Rome. And then the guy said, they said there was a a philosopher who owned a coffee shop. I just wanted to see if it was real. And then he left. He didn't buy anything? No. And also, he didn't talk about philosophy. He seemed to know a great deal about, like, arcane tax laws. (laughs) It's amazing. Not buying coffee is kind of hard for the course for people who go into a coffee shop just to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. The least you can do is just get a cappuccino. Yeah, but I'm not sure personally if I want somebody who's come just to debate me to be all amped up. I'd rather be the one with all the coffee so that at least I can have <laughs> debate them. That's fair. Uh, and Stevie, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I guess if I have to, yeah. No, you don't actually have to. <laughs> you could, uh, oh, <laughs> you could not introduce yourself or not and not plug anything. Okay. Yeah. Um. Then nope. Okay. Are you ready for some topics? Yeah. Avery, your topic is in my hometown of San Jose, California. There's a statue of the serpent god Quetzalcoatl. It looks like a large piece of perfectly formed dog poop. Everyone calls it the poop snake. <laughs> Let's talk about bad public art. First of all, did I pronounce Quetzalcoatl correctly? I believe so. Uh, As a member of the San Jose community, I'm going to say yes, that is the correct way to pronounce Quetzalcoatl. Oh, wait, isn't it San Jose? I thought you were about to say as a member of the dyslexic community. Yes, San Jose. And yes, I am a member of the dyslexic community. And that makes me extra, extra qualified to figure out how to pronounce this word. (laughs) Yeah, it's like when you're when your reading senses are weakened, your your like hearing and pronunciation senses are enhanced. <laughs> My pronunciation senses have have, have, have taken over. <laughs> there are many things that I would do if I had a time machine, but one of those things is I want to go back in time and be there when they uncover this the dog poop. Yes, it's in um, Caesar Chavez Park, so it is a park dedicated to Caesar Chavez, and I suppose they thought well. Quetzalcoatl is appropriate since it's a, a Central American symbol. 
And if you can imagine, Quetzalcoatl is a plumed serpent. And so it's a large obsidian black statue of a coiled serpent whose tail is up at the top and whose head is down at the bottom. And he's in like perfect coils. And it looks to all the world like a huge piece of like novelty dog poop that you might buy at like a joke shop. Yeah. I've been thinking about this because a friend of mine took me recently, I moved to Oakland and a friend of mine took me on a walk around Emeryville and there's a statue garden in Emeryville and uh, there's this horrible piece of public art that used to be in Palo Alto. It's a bronze statue of like a, um, a rag doll in a, in a, in a running in, in the midst of running. And there's a realistic baby face superimposed over its stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's meaning is impenetrable to me and it is kind of horrifying i'm getting nauseated just hearing you describe it it's incredible it's incredible it's called go mama look it up it's it's amazing <laughs> and either it or another cast of the same sculpture is at this sculpture garden in emeryville and i like i saw it from far away and was like oh my god this is here this is amazing <laughs> and then I was like telling my friend about the poop snake and all the bad art in, in the South Bay. Yeah. So I'd, I, w- I, w- I would want to just be there when like the artist takes the takes the sheet off of the snake. And there's like, you know, like the mayor of San Jose is there and a bunch of other dignitaries. And there's like stunned silence for a second before people collect themselves and start to applaud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like this hypothesis that that wasn't like discussed in committee for a million hours before the artist went and made the actual thing. <laughs> they just cut, through, cut out the, uh, the boring part. Yeah. It, it, back in our, our music days, Avery and I were in a band together and we several times toured up to Seattle to cafe that has a, an entire tiny museum of bad art in it. But ah, yes. Yeah. The cafe right here in Seattle is, is, is not big enough to have, statues that are you know commissioned by the city or anything like that but they did have a little corner that was entirely made out of um black velvet elvis paintings and there was i think the biggest centerpiece was uh, a portrait of jesus that was made entirely out of peeps that is absolutely my favorite thing from 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 cafe racer my hometown or or the the area around where i grew up half moon bay i remember they had a couple pieces of public art that I was probably a little too young to really appreciate, but um, one was supposed to be a half moon, I think, but you can't really, it's really hard to make a sculpture of, you know, the moon partially in shadow. And it really just looks like a toenail clipping or maybe a (laughs) piece of garlic that's just floating in air. I don't know. It's kind of an elegant elegantly simple minimal piece of bad art my favorite one though is uh, a statue that's kind of tucked away it's hard to find but it's a it's a big farmer carrying a pumpkin because half moon bay is known for pumpkins every year they have a pumpkin festival draws massive crowds lots of folk art being sold lots of crystals um, lots of pumpkin related games and uh there's a statue that, that was a commemorates half moon bay's dedication to pumpkins and it's a it's a farmer a big burly farmer carrying a pumpkin. It's a it's a massive pumpkin, so it takes both. It's he's wrapping both his arms around it, but it kind of looks like he's humping the pumpkin. And so everyone has affectionately called that the pumpkin fucker. <laughs> Stevie, is the half is the half moon? Is it a full moon shape, like 
it's a moon with shadow painted on it, or is it a three-dimensional... It's a three-dimensional thing, as if someone had blown up most of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's left over. <laughs> I feel like that's the problem right there. Like, that's not, that's not how a half-moon works. <laughs> the half-moon isn't actually <laughs> shaped like that. Right. Like you said, a toenail clipping or something is shaped like that. Yes. I feel like there is some bad art, some bad public art is is bad because it's specifically because it's public art. And like you, you, you have to satisfy so many different, like if you wanted to make a statement with public art, you had to do it in such a way as to obscure it. So nobody could possibly be offended since it's going to be out in public and like a city or municipality is paying for it or something. Or else it has to be something like the pumpkin fucker where it's like, this is just about this area. Yeah. Stevie sent me uh, when he was in, where is this? Where's the guy fighting the babies? Where is the guy fighting the babies? I think that's somewhere in the Czech Republic. I've, I've never seen that one in person. I've only seen the, uh, I've only seen his uh, tower of Zizhkov or the Zizhkov TV tower in um, Zizhkov uh, Prague in the Czech Republic, and it's a bunch of... It's, it was the first thing I saw in the Czech Republic is a bunch of larger-than-life babies made out of brass crawling up a giant TV tower. That's cool, though. Yeah, I was in a state of shock for a few seconds. I thought maybe that something had, had happened um, before I realized that it was art. Right, right. Like, there were some actual babies that were climbing a TV tower that someone bronzed them somehow. I really like it. I, I know that... I know that the the man fighting off the flying babies has been somebody thinks that's bad art. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Are they in biplanes like in King Kong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're shooting little bottles at him. Oh, it's great. <laughs> they all have goggles and scarves. <laughs> Red Baron babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As a matter of fact. The babies are naked and the man is naked. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. It's it's upsetting. And they're clearly like flying and like one has hit his foot and it looks like he's in the act of trying to shake it off of his foot <laughs> or else he's <laughs> kicking it. All of the most provocative public art I've ever seen was in that part of Europe, that part of the world. And just to give you an idea of the general flavor of art that's available to the public <laughs> in the Czech Republic. There is a, an ossuary where every bone of every person who's died there has been turned into a commemorative piece of art. There are pyramids made of skulls. There's a massive crest made out of every bone. There are chandeliers, uh, which is strings of jawbones lined together hung from the ceiling. It was really cool. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah. I don't have anything like uh, you guys are just describing good art, actually. Yeah, we're getting off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a um, in in Berkeley, like right at the border of Berkeley and Oakland, there's a sculpture that's just the words here and there. Oh, no. Which I think is a reference to a poem. And maybe it means something different if you know what the poem is. But if you don't know what the poem is, it's just Berkeley saying we're the protagonists. Yeah, and Oakland is everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, here's the border between the good stuff and the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Ah, oh, that's great. That seems in very poor taste. Oh my god. 
<laughs> that ossuary, like I feel like I I feel like I'm I'm a person that's into kind of morbid culture stuff, but I feel like that might be too much for me. Have you ever been around that many skulls? I had I'd never been around that many skulls before that. I went to the Mütter Museum uh, the year before last, which is like a medical history museum in Philadelphia. And there's in their lower area, they just have their lower area in their basement. They just have like jars and jars full of human body parts floating in um, formaldehyde. And it was like too, like I was halfway through when I suddenly I was like, well, can't take this anymore. But I like I couldn't get out. So I had to just go <laughs> through the rest of the exhibit. <laughs> yeah there's no like uh there's no emergency exit you can't like pull the rip cord <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you really like you you either have to be committed or you have to like you have to know your limits ahead of going in there which i did not there were like little kids there somebody brought uh somebody brought kids there and i i didn't want to like cover my eyes and keep on walking because i didn't want these like children to see me wussing out when they weren't wussing out yeah they would have given you hell when you got out of there yeah yeah they would have they would have demanded that I debate them. Ever since I'm not a barista now, I can't debate people. Listen, you're a programmer now. That means you're the best at debating people. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's true. If internet culture has told me anything, it's that programmers have the best opinions. <laughs> and they're ready to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they certainly have the most opinions. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Throw another one on the, yeah. on the Barbie. Sorry, I was just, think- it was just thinking about how... Being a software programmer, it seems like the strength of your opinion is like inversely proportional to the amount of experience behind it. I think that's um, true of most human knowledge. Oh, yeah. All I know is that I don't know nothing, dude. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's an effect, right? Where a documented effect where people who are just start like freshmen in college who are just starting to study a subject rate themselves as knowing as being way more uh having way more expertise than they do and then like actual experts rate themselves as having way less expertise than they do oh the the dunning-kruger effect so i actually read an article recently that was pretty convincing that claimed that effect was just a um an effect of the methodology of study Oh, interesting. Because they fed random data into the same methodology and got the same bias. <laughs> oh, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. I thought that was like I thought that was really a strange way to to find out that this this whole time I have to stop stop being smug in this particular way. Man, that's an honor for Dunning and Kruger to have a bias named after them. Pretty cool. Yes. Uh, Stevie, your topic is some paleontologists think that T-Rex used its tiny arms to help it get up after sleeping. I wish I had a pair of tiny arms to help me get up after sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, my my ghostwriter will remain anonymous and and dead because they're a ghost. Wait, so someone someone who is dead wrote this topic for you? Uh, Well, I guess the fact that I've said that it's a ghostwriter kind of Breaks the first rule of ghostwriter dumb, much as you don't talk about it. Um, but anyway. Do you want me to cut that part of the show? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's all part of the lore. Okay, all right. We just confessed to a crime. <laughs> yeah, someone and I were recently just watching videos of, of 
of explanations of why Tyrannosaurus rexes have tiny arms, which is something I never really thought about before. And um, I guess it helps them get up from sleeping, but now I can't picture in my head how a T-Rex sleeps. Because I feel like if it uses, it has to use its arms to push itself up a tiny bit or roll itself over, it's already in a really bad spot. I'm imagining it curled up like a kitten. <laughs> yeah. They go back into their Pokeball or something. <laughs> <laughs> they de-evolve. I imagine them sleeping in like a sitting position, but I'm not sure if it's if that's like... They don't seem like they could really sit, right? Like they're kind of all leaned forward and then balanced by their tail. Right. I figured they all just kind of like use their massive chomping faces to chomp onto something and hang onto it, kind of in the same way that bats hang from the ceiling. Ha! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, they're going to sleep hanging from a tree. So, according yeah. to Super Mario Odyssey, they sleep on their bellies. Oh, right. And then when you put a hat on them, they're under your control. Right, yes. Wow. Do you remember there was this toy uh, in the 80s when I was a little kid called Dino Riders? And it was like people that rode, it was these action figures that rode on dinosaurs and the good guys rode uh, plant-eating dinosaurs and the bad guys were like these bug aliens that had helmets that controlled the dinosaurs that they rode and they rode on meat-eating dinosaurs. It was called Dino Riders. I don't remember this at all. Unless there were those little sponges and when you soak them, they turn into dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. I remember those. They, you put them in a swimming pool and they become full-size <laughs> yeah, and they kill all your enemies. They'll do your bidding, but only but only until midnight, and then they then they dry up. <laughs> I would want like a really long neck so that I could wrap my neck back around and sleep. Use use my body as a pillow, like how a giraffe sleeps. Yeah, that does seem like a good sleeping power. It also seems like it might lead to chronic issues. Constantly being corkscrewed, kind of. Yeah, I guess your neck would get sore. Yeah. Stevie, where would hmm. your tiny arms be? Yeah, I'm trying to figure... I'm trying to picture it now that now that you mentioned it. I don't know if they would replace my normal size arms, or maybe my normal size arms would just shrink down at sleepy time so that I could get smaller. Maybe they would have to be additional arms. Yeah, that's what I was picturing, is like you'd have like... They could be small enough to tuck like into into the sides of your body. So that people couldn't tell that you had a pair of tiny arms. Would they recede? Like, would they? Would they like like claws, or would they? Would there be arm flaps that hide them? Oh my god! There's no way to. There's no way to hide them. That's not hideous in an, in an intimate situation of any kind. <laughs> Do you think Grimace, his second set of arms, are used to help him get up after sleeping? <laughs> 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 no, dude, all of Grimace's arms are for killing. Grimace never sleeps. I, I, I... Grimace's other arms are for stealing milkshakes and stuff, I think. Okay. <laughs> I imagine that that later, later or earlier Grimace, who's also really big and fat, is just like just sleeping in place because he was sort of a, a blob. He definitely let himself go after he lost the second pair of arms. Well, no, he got 
he got more spelt as time went on. There were somebody at McDonald's was like, this oh. is too scary. We need to lose some arms and make him have like visible feet. If Grimace has four arms and two legs, see an insect? Is he a big purple tick? Yeah. What is he? Like, I feel like having a large, unhappy looking purple guy named Grimace is not a good, like, that's not a good spokesperson for a fast food chain, is it? He right. just wants to hug you twice as hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T-Rex's tiny arms were for hugging. You know, they were this, they were stronger than human arms and bigger than human arms. They just look tiny on a, on, on such a large body. Right. They're, propor- they're proportionally tiny. Yeah, because he was huge. He, T-Rex. Our friend T-Rex was huge. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one friend T-Rex. He's a big boy. Yeah. He's a big boy. There's other kinds of... There's probably other types of limbs that you could... Or maybe adaptations to your body that would help you rise out of bed. Here's what you do. Here's what you do, Stevie. You plan a heist to steal some T-Rex arms from a museum. (laughs) (laughs) I like where this is going. And then you hook those up to a pulley system uh, that you use to lift yourself out of bed every morning. Like in the morning, Stevie, like his, his alarm goes off and the sun comes up and he sort of rises happily and like kind of shakes the sleep off a little bit. And then a pulley system with two skeleton T-Rex arms. Fossilized, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lifts, him in, lifts him out of Which bed. Which I stole from a Czech ossuary, yes. <laughs> I feel like that was three movies in one, Jim. So I'm in. Oh, we can start small. We can start with... Uh, the first movie can just be all about your desire to get up more easily after sleeping. That would be like an hour and a half. The second movie, another hour and a half, will be the conversation about how one of us discovers that the T-Rex, we were reading Wikipedia, we discovered the T-Rex might have used its arms to get up after sleeping. And then the third movie can be the heist and the the aftermath where you construct your your mechanism to get out of bed. I like that. And then the next episode is somebody edits the Wikipedia page to reflect the latest findings. That's and right. It no longer supports that theory, and I'm I don't know what anything means anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I mean, at that point you scrap the trilogy, like it's, it's artistically <laughs> worthless now, but the documentary about us making the series of movies <laughs> becomes uh, an Oscar winner. And how like after, after I had, after I gave up on the idea that tiny arms could help you do anything, I moved to the countryside to sort of, Chop wood, carry water every day. Stop with these big plans. Don't heist anymore. No, no more heists. So within, so within the trilogy. Okay, so Jim, you ended this by saying he looks in the in the Wiki, you know, at a Wikipedia article after stealing the T Rex arms and discovers that people don't think that they're used for getting them out of sleep anymore. And then Jim's answer to that was, then you decide to scrap the trilogy. So the trilogy exists. Within the trilogy, inside the trilogy, you are also making a movie <laughs> about, about stealing T-Rex arms. Yeah, it's like multi-dimensional adaptation. This wasn't my plan, but I like this better. <laughs> it's like adaptation. You're, yeah. 
you're stealing T-Rex arms, but then also you're making a movie about stealing T-Rex arms. And then right. you discover that the T-Rex arms aren't actually used to rise you from sleeping. You scrap the movie, but you've still stolen the T-Rex arms. Yeah. Right. It's, yes. it's like four-dimensional chess. In other words, it's like regular chess. Is that a topic? To, is that a topic you didn't write down? <laughs> four-dimensional chess is regular chess because it's four-dimensional because it's happening in time. <laughs> I mean, there are infinite topics that we didn't write down, so sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, are you ready for another topic? Yes, my lord. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, wait a minute. Was that a <laughs> reference to, like, those ads on Facebook? Like, play discreetly, my lord? <laughs> Do you know the ones I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. I was just, I was just, it was a reference to you, Jim. Okay, the lord. Okay, because I'm the lord. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, no, I guess it's dead. Don't look back. This is too much of a tangent. This is too much of a tangent. <laughs> We've gone too far. You're right. You're right. I'm backing down. <laughs> yeah. My topic is Doom 1.0's Proto VR mode. So, the very first version of Doom in 1993 had a mode where you could run it on three computers on an IPX network and configure it so that they were your left, center, and right cameras. <laughs> so, if you like took pushed these like enormous beige machines together in a, like around your head and arranged the monitors so that like two of them were on your left and right. You could like see more of the world at once by looking around. Wow. Assuming you'd wow. Wait, like they would have all these would have how far from your head would these monitors be? Well, I mean, they don't tell you how far to put them from your head. <laughs> like maybe you just do it like, Maybe they're feet apart and you're like, lean over and say, ha ha, it worked. <laughs> you could do this now with like, you could get three projectors and, you know, yeah. go, into like, go into a room and project one in front of you and one on either side of you and experience like you're inside Doom 1.0. That's called the Keck Cave. K-E-C-K. Then they, um, they I, I, I think it's from something, a project at UC Davis. You'd see it repeatedly at like Maker Fair, but it's like a, a an early, like a form of VR where they um, you go into this this box that is basically like you're surrounded by rear projection screens and then they project the uh, the world around you. Yeah, I've seen a small version of that now that I think about it for experimenting with VR on mice. Ooh, wow! Mice and rats. Yeah, like it's a small, it's a tiny little thing, and they can get into it. You know, some people pay thousands of dollars for a VR setup and the mice get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, you, you guys must have tried Oculus, right? Yeah, a little bit. Avery, you're the only person who's ever seen me wear such a thing and use it. For like a real, like a real brief period of time, very brief period of time, I was seeing someone who worked at Oculus and uh, she was like a really brilliant um, and they hired her to do, to like make these like huge interactive or not, not even really interactive, just like these 3D things that you could walk around inside. Like she did a kelp forest, but it was, you could tell, you could tell it was made by an artist because it looked like, um, it looked like her style of, of illustration. Right. Uh, it was really cool. And up till then I kept thinking, okay, 
VR is an idea that comes back every like it's been with us since apparently it's been with us since 1993 or whenever Doom came out. Oh, I mean, you could you could go to like a mall and play a terrible VR headset experience where like they instruct you to and this is like from in like 1990 I think they had this where they would instruct you to move your head really slowly because if you move your head quickly the view, <laughs> view the view wouldn't match and you'd throw up. Hundred percent guaranteed, or you might back. That's right. Why do we think this is a good idea? Like to me, it seems like it. Every few every few years, somebody is like, "I know. What if we strap a TV to your face?" And then, like, <laughs> it turns out that people really that like really that's not a great idea. I mean the the reason people are really into VR is because of books like Snow Crash, which depicts uh, VR as like a a shared experience, like a shared world that you can escape into when you're real life is terrible like in in like in the, the depicted dystopian future and it's kind of a combination internet and uh immersive simulation and when people saw Oculus coming up as a product that they were excited about i think people were still attached to that original fantasy of of the shared world, even though the internet already paid off that half of the of the promise of VR. Yeah, and boy, did like it. we already have the shared world, and the and the VR is yeah, now just a yeah. way to look at a three D thing. Now, now we just have to do the part that makes you throw up like more quickly than it already was <laughs> going to do. Right. Why did they need three monitors over an Ipecac ne- network or whatever you said it was? <laughs> IPX. IPX network. There were three because you can't look behind you. Like it's it's hard to look behind you, uh, and it's harder to put four computers arranged around you in a in a rectangle. I guess. At that point, the room would just get too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's just that, like it, you know, it would be cool is if we had uh, left and right cameras too. <laughs> yeah. And then they did it in like an, an afternoon. <laughs> and the reason that I know this was a hack that they did in an afternoon is that the very first version of Doom used um, a networking model that made the network unusable for everybody else on it. So, like, if you were running a deathmatch, like, no one else could use the network. It was just you, – you were saturating it with packets. And in version 1.1 or whatever the next one was, they fixed that. They changed it to directed packets instead of broadcast packets. And that broke the VR mode because the way that it worked is it was just listening for packets that were coming, that happened to be coming in and it wasn't actually connected to the uh, other computer directly. Oh man, so does that mean that each monitor would be showing some random bullshit at any given moment? Oh, that's a great idea. Like if it's... uh. Oh, so first of all, I really, really like the idea. I don't know if this is what you were saying, that it would receive any incoming data as defining a game state, a world state. Yes. In the in the game Doom. <laughs> yes. So like, three entirely different worlds happening at once, I guess. I don't know. Right. And, and randomly changing. Somehow they found a way to make it even three times pukier than before. That's amazing. The puke <laughs> technology was just really innovative back then. This was the 90s when we were all about that kind of thing too, I guess. Yeah, people loved puke in the 90s. Yeah, everything had to be gross and extreme. <laughs> Garbage pail kids. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Sadly, I'm pretty sure Doom's networking just sent um, inputs, like your, your keyboard and mouse input. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, uh, do you guys remember that the Tiger video game company made a virtual reality thing? The R-Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. There was one at the maid. It was in a uh, clamshell packaging, so I never got to try it. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you would have cut yourself trying to get to it? <laughs> well, it's because it was on display. I didn't... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to open it up and then uh, I couldn't put it back in its box because it was a clamshell package. Damn these clamshell packages. It's too dangerous for me to open. <laughs> but I read about it and the thing was a disaster. Yes. Did you try this? Yes. Oh, you describe it then. You've got firsthand experience. Uh, well, I tried it when I was a kid. So yeah. I remember. I remember it making me feel sick. And I remember that it was like looking into a periscope, right? Is that right? Uh, well, it's, it's, in, it's just in front of one eye. <laughs> right. That's right. Like Google Glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we came back to that, what, 30 years later to, for the invention of Google Glass. The Google R-Zone. Check it out now at r.zone. Jim, you should explain since your your experience of it is a lot more recent than mine. Yeah. Uh, so it's a headband that you wear and it drops in front of your left eye a um, like a translucent red, I guess. a. am I'm actually not sure if like I think it's projecting the image onto that red. Yes, I believe so. And so it's it's a Tiger LCD game, except it's being projected directly like on a piece of plastic like two inches in front of your left eye it's like way more immersive than just looking at one (laughs) (laughs) yeah well definitely because you can't get it out of your face right but if it's only over one eye yeah you have to hold your other eye shut or you're gonna get motion sick it's like having somebody shove an old or red old-fashioned digital watch into your in one eye yeah. But the whole point, okay, so this wasn't the same kind of VR where it makes it feel like 3D because it's just over one eye. <laughs> right. So it's just, something, it's just a screen that you can't look away from. Yeah, it certainly affects your brain. Like if you, yeah, if you don't close one eye, then you'll start to feel sick after a while because like there's flashing and motion happening in only your left eye. The Duckfeed guys did a episode about this on their podcast, Abject Suffering, and I just bring that up. First of all, it's a good episode. You should go listen to it if you're into, if you want to hear people riffing on this more. But I am going to cut in the the chiptune rendition of the the Daytona theme. Ooh. <laughs> Which, I don't know if you guys want to take a moment and find that. Let's see if it's on YouTube. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. God, <laughs> that is the sound of something. That's the sound of something going very wrong. <laughs> what I like about it is that you can just barely recognize it if you know if you've like played Daytona, uh, which is a Sega racing game. You can just barely recognize it as the Daytona theme.
was that Jim? Was that just a direct port of the music that didn't have any human intervention, or was it like the composer wouldn't give up on the idea of polyphony? Oh, it wow. certainly sounds like it didn't have any human intervention. <laughs> sounds like. It, it sounds like a malfunctioning piece of electronics. I really like the idea that that was like, well, we, we wrote a program to convert uh, the MIDI file into a single monophonic square wave. And this is the output. And that's, it is what it is. So it must be right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds too crafted to me. As someone who has crafted music that sounds much like that. <laughs> As someone who has created music meant to meant to cause pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play some someday. I'm a little bit I'm too self-conscious to cut that particular track in here. I would love to hear your Yeah, me too. I would love to hear what you've crafted like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like they released another version of the R Zone that was just like one you hold in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> they just backed off and went to their old model. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Just erase the previous, erase the memory of the previous model by making a new model with the same name. I have such bad feelings about Tiger because when I was a kid, I really, really wanted the Marble Madness video game. And so my mom bought me the Tiger Marble Madness game. Wow. Which, like, again, it's just like playing a game on a digital watch. Like, it was, it's, it's nothing like Marble Madness. I wanna, I wanna know. I'm gonna look that up. It's got like a, something that looks like a trackball at the bottom. Yeah, uh huh. But it's not. I think it's actually just a joystick, but it's made up to look like a trackball. Right. That's oh, the worst of both worlds. Yeah. This this looks like it's just a maze chase game, like Pac Man. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. It just generates. Uh, it's it's what Marvel Madness looks like from above, right? Yeah, it's yes. If you had a if you had a very far away bird's eye view, a pterodactyl's eye view. Yeah. So I I had a couple of these Tiger LCD games growing up, and you know what I never had were the Game and Watch games, which like oh yeah. Having gone back to a couple of those, those are actually like well designed games. Yeah. That like are fit within the constraints of the medium in a sensible way. Game and watch games. What's that? The Nintendo made a series of LCD games called Game and Watch. And they were extremely simply designed uh, single screen games that were like like the Tiger LCDs, LCD games, but like actually well made. And they had fully functional alarm clocks on them too. Right, that was the game. That was the watch oh, part. And, was and the watch? <laughs> what else has got you know I segmented see. LCDs? Watches. Let's just slap one of those in there. I had a Mario Cement Factory and Balloon Fight, and I always wish that there was something you know, some secret ending to Balloon Fight. Not realizing that I had seen all of the positions of the segmented LCD, and that was all there was to experience. Right, right. Maybe it's like a mad fold-in where, like, <laughs> it unlocks the hinge where you can bring the two halves of the LCD screen together, and that's the final boss. Oh, man. Oh, Jim, did you ever see um, Barcode Battler? I think it might have been called different, called by different names in different places. 
No, but I mean, I, I think I can guess what it is from the name, but go ahead and describe it. Well, it's, an, it's on the theme of uh, games that use this simple kind of segment LCD display. It looks kind of vaguely shaped like the Tiger handheld or like a Game Gear or something like that, but it's got a, a slot to swipe cards at the bottom of it, and it comes with a bunch of cards that have barcodes on them, but you can actually just... The idea is that you swipe these barcodes to set your like playable character and the enemies that you fight, and then somehow it derives stats from the data that's in the barcode. But you can also just pick random barcodes from cereal boxes and swipe them through, and it's it's a really weird thing, because it's just like... It's kind of like brute-forcing... A cryptographic problem you have to go out and find the best barcode in the world <laughs> without being able to know how exactly they affect the character you're playing <laughs> needless to say i never got anywhere with it right I, I like the idea that you could like you could doctor the barcodes with a sharpie like make this one line thicker and then suddenly like your 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 dude is super swole <laughs> <laughs> you found the the bar that encodes the muscles <laughs> right <laughs> just make that as big as possible we found the beef bar. Eats you got there is a real beef bar. <laughs> this is a weird tangent, but I'm just suddenly remembering that at my high school they printed ID cards which were which encoded your social security number in a in a barcode. Oh. And to make a point, like some of the students just learned to read barcodes just by looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, Boy, that's a skill that is not really going to come in handy any other those time. Are, those are the kids that ended up forming like a math metal band, just right. smart and rebellious. Yeah. yeah, there was such a thing as math punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, nowadays they would need to learn to read QR codes, which is probably more difficult. Oh yeah, I, I know. I've told Stevie this story probably multiple times. Jim, did I ever tell you the story about the um, Russian startup that tried to get me to use their QR code, uh, their, their QR code software stuff? I am trying to remember if you've told the story on the show. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and I can't. We, we can all just, we can all just react as if it's the first time. Then Jim will go back to previous episodes and actually delete those episodes just in case. Right, yes. <laughs> what I would like you to do is bleep out everything I the entire story. Yeah, uh, yeah. If, just, if it already exists. <laughs> yeah, just five minutes of a uh, loud squelch. Yeah. Or just run actually just run that theme song over it. So it'll Topic be it'll be <laughs> yeah. five minutes of people being like, Is the podcast broken? My iPhone acting up. R2-D2 calling me? Okay, so a very, a, an abbreviated version of this story is that uh, I used to own a coffee shop. It was a tiny coffee shop. I was the only person that worked there. Um, I worked seven days a week, except for holidays, for almost two years. Um, and in the first few months that it was open, I was so eager to please people that I would just like... I got in a few situations just because I needed customers and I needed to please people. And this uh, Russian guy came in once with his kids. He had cute kids. He ordered coffee for all of his kids. 
which he, he ordered coffee for his daughter. So that, let me guess, that took like you half an hour. <laughs> yes. Yes, it did. And his like his seven-year-old daughter, I was like, uh, do, you, do you think maybe she wants decaf? And he was like, I can't do a Russian accent. It would just be offensive. So he said something like, gosh, <laughs> ah, she's fine. She doesn't want decaf. And I looked at her. She she very imperceptibly nodded that she nodded yes, like I do want decaf. <laughs> <laughs> so I made her a decaf. I was like, I don't know. Things are different in Russia. Like these people seem to have just come to America. They probably all like they probably that seven year olds probably had vodka already. And the guy said something to me. And again, his English was not great. He said something to me about how he worked at a company. Like my understanding was that he said his company was making point of sales software and wanted to know if I might be interested in helping them test it or something. And I like had other customers coming and going. And like I said, it was really easy to please or eager to please. And so I was like, you know, well, come over and talk to me about it after I close tomorrow. And he said, okay. And so I completely forget about this and I'm closing up shop and like relevant to the story is the fact that shop was like 300 square feet. So it's very tiny space and I'm closing it up and this guy comes over uh, and I was like, Oh yeah, right. This is my Russian friend. And he comes with, uh, I want to say seven other people, two guys in like full track suits with, uh, with reflective sunglasses. Two of them appear to speak no English at all. The others have like, I mean, they speak okay English, but not great for like making a sales pitch. And so I still didn't understand what it was they wanted me to do. And they kept like pairing off in pairs and talking in Russian. And then one of them would come back and like say something to me. And so I thought, I still thought they were just asking me for input for their software. So what they ended up doing was having me sign up for an account for their software. And then that we went through the process of them ordering coffee from me and they paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> they had me open up a Bitcoin wallet because their actual company is a Bitcoin managing company and, and they had me pay in Bitcoin or ha- paid me in Bitcoin and like fractions of Bitcoins. And um, it was clear to me that their software was not like it's clear to me that none of them had ever been in like the restaurant or food service business because one guy was like, okay, now we have to enter your, uh, all, all of your drink options. And I was like, all right. And, and he was like, okay, so latte. And I was like, yeah. And then the guy that came in the day before was like, I always get a soy latte. And I was like, well, you've only been here once, but uh, yeah, that would be a modification to the latte. And they both looked at uh-huh. each other and then started speaking in Russian and then went outside and started arguing. And one of them came back and went, uh, uh, well, wow. we don't have that function yet. And I was like, so you're telling me there's going to be a different option for a latte, a soy latte, an ice latte, an ice soy latte. It's going to be a different option for large and small. And they both looked at each other again and started arguing in Russian. And then they're like, we will fix it by tomorrow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then this American guy came, came uh, showed up and I was fine with all the Russian people. I was fine with this American guy. Immediately, I was like, I do not like this person. This person is a con artist of some kind. He said something like, so this is where it all begins. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you are our first customer. I was like, no, I'm not your first customer. And he was like, you're going to be our first customer. And I was like, no, I will help you test out your software, but I'm not going to be your first customer. And he started arguing with me. And then he explained what their... I, I still didn't understand what their service was. He finally explained that the service is they put up QR codes on posters or whatever around the city 
And when you scan one of these QR codes with your phone, it takes you to the menu of like, if they, if I did my coffee shop, right, they would scan a QR code. It would take you to the menu of my coffee shop where you could then order online. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't even know anyone that uses QR codes. And the guy was like, we're seeing 50% adoption rates in our QR codes. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's a number. Yeah. And like, why are you arguing? If you came to do a sales pitch, why are you arguing with me, the guy that's giving you feedback? And, I, and, and then it turned out it wasn't. And I was like, okay, so you download the app. And the guy was like, no, that's the beauty of it. It's not an app. And I was like, but cell phones are optimized for apps. And he was like, no, no, no. This takes you to the website. It's like, okay, so in order to use this service at all, you need to find a QR code, scan the QR code if you have that software on your phone, and then it takes you to a website. And then you order off the website. And then what? And then you come to the, and then you have to find the place that the QR, that's like connected to the QR code. And the guy was like, yeah, it's great. It's like somewhere between Foursquare and an Easter egg hunt. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. And then, when you're already hungry. Yeah. Well, and you don't, you know what, like you don't even need to be hungry because half the time you don't know what it's for. It's just a QR code and you have to scan it out of curiosity. And then you have to maybe be, and then you have to be like, Oh, luckily I was looking for a coffee shop and this random QR code happens to have taken me to the menu from what I assume is a coffee shop somewhere nearby, but I don't know. Ah, so it's also mixed with the lottery. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And then like, finally, it turned out that their software didn't work on a Mac and I was using an iPad as my register. And I was like, well, sorry guys, I can't help you. (laughs) (laughs) They, they left. And then the next day, as I was closing, the American guy came back with, with a, um, with a gun. Yeah. I was going to say machete. (laughs) You're going to use our fucking QR codes. You hear me? You think you're better than me? It was it was actually it was a tattoo gun to put the QR codes on your arm. <laughs> uh, you don't like QR oh, man, codes? If you did that, then you will permanently have a menu for your old coffee shop. I, I permanently have a menu for my old coffee shop tattooed on my brain. <laughs> and so this guy came, he came back with a uh, Windows uh, tablet, and he was like, "You can use this as your register." And I was like, "I'm not." doing this i'm not doing business with you and he argued with me again and then he left the tablet and i was like ah oh, free tablet wow and I put it away somewhere <laughs> oh that's where that came from <laughs> and yeah and then the next day i was closing and a blonde lady showed up who wasn't in the original group and i didn't realize she was with them until she started speaking and she had a thick russian accent and immediately i was like What's going on? And she was like, good news. Uh, we, we've started your campaign. And I was like, what do you mean? And she showed me a poster that they made that had my coffee shop's logo on it, which they must have somehow pulled off the, like the only place where the coffee shop's logo was, was the window. So they must have taken a picture of the window and wow. then pulled it out of the picture of the window, put it on this poster, printed out what she told me were hundreds of them. <laughs> and she was like, people are already seeing them around. They're already interested. And I was like, we're already using these as a fake new currency. These are our new dollar bills. You've got to take these down right now. I did not give you permission to, and like, she seemed shocked. And I was like, I'm sorry if I'm coming on strong. That American guy you're working with, he is a huckster. And she looked confused. And I was like, just don't trust him and leave me, leave me alone. And they left. And I got, uh, so from that interaction, I got a free 
tablet and um, Bitcoin. Like I have Bitcoin and a Bitcoin wallet somewhere. Oh, that, that Bitcoin's probably worth twenty thousand dollars now. Yeah, it was like thirty bucks in Bitcoin in two thousand and eighteen. So it's oh, probably, then it's yeah, it's probably not that much actually. Damn, that's very good. I wonder whatever happened to that company. I could use like a fifteen second breather. Yeah, I'll I'll add that in in post. <laughs> okay, great, thanks. Okay, I'm fully refreshed. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm, I'll let's let's give it. Let's all take a deep breath. Yeah. Yeah, I was just taken back to the temporarium days. I had to. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. This is a write-in. John asks philosophical questions and concepts you independently discovered as a child regardless of how well-equipped you may or may not have been to explore them in depth. So, I guess I'll go first. This is, this is uh, only barely qualifies, but uh, when I was a teenager, I invented convolution reverb. <gasps> Whoa. And never implemented it because I was like, eh, that's, that, that's too simple to work. <laughs> that is pretty amazing. Oh man. When you say invented, like could you have if you if you had put your mind to it, could you have uh Yeah, what I was thinking of would have worked. How old were you? What I was thinking of specifically was oh I, I was probably seventeen. What I was thinking of was specifically like, what if I uh just take an impulse? I don't know if I knew the word impulse. What if I just take a, a single sample tick and run it through whatever like software I was using that, that could do reverb, run it through their reverb and then play back my own sample where each, where each output tick is at that volume, uh, which is effectively convolution reverb and it totally would have worked. Uh, but I was just like that, that can't, that can't work. That's not going to do it, but I was wrong. It would have worked. That's pretty awesome. You were so wrong. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm trying to, and I'm scratching my head thinking back. There's got to be a, God, I've had a Mozart moment just like Jim. It's got to be a, a <laughs> moment where I invented something really important. Maybe auto-tune? <laughs> the toothbrush. No, I, we had those. I independently then. discovered the, the important philosophical concept of the toothbrush. <laughs> I knew a professor at he was an art professor at UCLA who claimed that he was looking at the tiling in a public restroom when he was like eight and using the bathroom. And he derived uh, the Pythagorean theorem from the, from the tiling. <laughs> Impressive. Years later was disappointed to find that somebody had already figured that figured it out. <laughs> and given it the same name that he did. <laughs> yeah. And that was professor Pythagoras. Yeah. <laughs> That's when his trilogy was canceled. I, I'll be honest, I'm only nominated this topic because I know Avery's got a story. I don't know that it's a story about, it's not really a philosophical concept, but... All right, Avery, impress us. Impress me, Avery, about Elf. You invented Elf? <laughs> yeah, I independently invented the, the important philosophical concept of Elf. <laughs> <laughs> he is pretty, yeah, he's, he's pretty elemental. So Alf is not Alf is not his name, right? Alf stands for alien life form, and his real name is Gordon Shumway. <laughs> what really? <laughs> yes. 
Well, I mean, not really. He's not a living thing. He doesn't really have a real name. But yes, within Alf, Alf, in the in the, the Alf lore. Yeah, isn't Gordon Shumway the, the name of the guy who sells the slap chop, or is that someone else? <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 not even Gordon Ramsay. What's that guy's name? <laughs> According to this, it's Vince Offer. <laughs> yeah, see, it's pretty, it's pretty close. It's almost, you were almost right, Stevie. Yeah. They both have syllables in there. Was it the Swiffer sales? Was it a Swiffer salesperson doing infomercials, maybe? You're probably thinking of the Sham Wow. Yeah, that's it. Shumway oh, and Sham Wow sounds like Shumway. Yeah. Gordon Sham Wow. That was it. Thank you. <laughs> Gordon Sham Wow, inventor of the Sham Wow. Inventor of the towel that bears his name. Now that this knot has been tied, we can get back to the topic. Thanks for helping me solve that mystery. <laughs> when we last saw our heroes, they had just learned that Alf's real name was Gordon Shumway. <laughs> um, and Gordon Shumway comes from a planet named Melmac. And the backstory in the 1980s sitcom in which Gordon Shumway was a like sort of a Muppet and and surrounded by living flesh and blood human beings was that he was a refuge a refugee from the planet Melmac which had exploded and it was actually kind of a dark show like I think after the first season the producers asked the writers to dial down Alf's alcoholism because he was like (laughs) drinking to overcome the fact that his entire planet had been destroyed and in particular his girlfriend Rhonda and he talks about Rhonda a lot and I just remember there's one episode where the father comes downstairs into the laundry room and Alf is just watching the dryer spin around and he's just chanting, help me Rhonda, help me Rhonda, over and over again. And meanwhile, the laugh track is going crazy. Yeah, even as a child, I was like, that's his dead girlfriend. That's really, this is really (laughs) real. Yes. The reason this connects to what we're talking about is there was also an Alf Saturday morning cartoon show. Wait, wait, so they didn't actually make the Beach Boys joke? They just said, help me, Rhonda, over and over again? Yes. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Okay. And then, like, the father had to snap Alf out of it because he was sp- spiraling into darkness thinking about his dead true love. Wow. It was a comedy show. And uh, also, he wanted to eat their cat, and he was sexually attracted to their daughter, and he lived in their basement. It's for kids, mostly. And he was an alcoholic. Yeah, it's for children. But the Saturday morning cartoon show, which was a cartoon, took place on Alf's homeworld of Melmac with Alf's girlfriend Rhonda as the uh, as a side character uh, or a co-star, I guess. And it was this cartoon, watching this cartoon, where I started to think, wait, in the in Alf canon, this whole planet has already has already blown up and all these people are already dead including Rhonda his girlfriend all these people that I'm watching are are dead or at least I know they're going to die and then it occurred to me that everybody I know was going to die someday and that is how I was introduced to the like really first introduced to the topic of mortality <laughs> sounds awful what a terrible show that's a real yeah. rip the bandaid off approach that the world had just handed you for that. Yeah. I don't know if I was, if it happened the first time I saw the show or if it was after a few months of watching the show that it suddenly started to, I suddenly started to realize that all these characters were supposed to be dead already. 
Yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to learn about death when a, when your like pet dog dies. Well, I live in an apartment. That's the normal way, the right way to learn about death. But the the creators of the Alf sitcom decided they've got a better way. <laughs> Just as hairy and cute as a dog. Yep. So I, I'm looking at the ALF Wikipedia page, and I just want to point out that the composer of the ALF theme song is ALF Clausen. <laughs> wow. 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 Any connection? <laughs> well, he wrote the theme song. Okay, that's a connection. Yeah, that's a pretty big connection. Like, did he change his name after <laughs> his... M- yeah, either did he change his name to match the show, or like, was... Was he like the fifth Beatle that nobody knows about or whatever? And like, they just named it after him or something. Right. Yeah. How long have we been recording for? Like, when did we actually start the show? My clock for recording says one hour, 29 minutes, 45 seconds. Okay. All right. Let's, let's call it then. It's, uh, I'm sure my wife is waiting for me. Okay. There's so many good topics on here. Yeah, I mean, we can do another show later if you want. We can, like, record again in a few weeks. Well, I would be down for that. Avery, if this is something that you want, where could people find you on the internet? I guess on my Bandcamp page. If if people are going to find me, I want them to find my Bandcamp page and not any of the other activities that I do online. Okay. And Stevie, if, if this is something that you want, where could people find you on the internet? Good question. I have a Twitter account. Is it is it something that you want? Because you didn't want to introduce yourself or plug anything. Oh yeah, I'm curling up in a ball like a like a T Rex with its like receding arms. Uh, I have a Twitter account H R Y X, which is I think I might have made private recently, but maybe I don't know what you could, how you can still interact with that, but maybe you can. I have a website right. net. Listeners, go find out. See how deep the rabbit hole goes. Uh, yes. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having yep. us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.